Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. Uh, If you don't know, I'm Christine. Uh, I'm here, staff here at the city. And um, yeah, uh, it is my joy. (laughs) It is a privilege to share uh, always, you know, uh, to stand before uh, the house to share. I come to you this morning as a daughter of the house, as a fellow sister of the community, uh, to share God's heart for you this morning. Uh, uh, well, if you don't know, I have three kids, uh, Travis, Erilyn, and Tyler, who are downstairs enjoying Gash, learning about God. Uh, and I'm married to Rudy. Uh, we are, this is our 15th year uh, coming October. And uh, 15 years of marriage. Okay, uh, we have been to... Thanks for the encouragement. Yeah, but, you know, we had the privilege of... Um, uh, 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 Pastor Neil was there at our wedding, and quite a few who grew up with us uh, were there at our wedding. And at, in our wedding, uh, we, we, were, we belong to that era where we just uh, say vows. You know, we just, like, uh, repeat what the pastor say. The pastor will just whisper, very actually very quickly, like, you know, do you take your therefore, you know, uh, what the kind of thing. And then sometimes, I still remember during my wedding, I'm like straining to hear what uh, Pastor Yang was saying. Because, you know, in case you say the vows wrongly, then you cannot retract the vows because it's before God and man. So I was like, oh, you know, do you take, do you take uh, from this day forth, for ritual, for poorer, for health. <laughs> then, you know, just straining to hear those vows. But uh, through the course of, of the few years, you know, there is this growing trend, and I think it's a great one, where uh, you write your personal vows, right, to one another. And uh, we had the privilege of attending so many of our young adults' weddings where they have very, um, such touching, personal, and such a God, uh, directed kind of vows, you know, and I, I remember Andre's vows. I remember Jason and Con's, uh, their vows, that was like very long, very long vows, but I was crying at the end, you know, what a great, like, you know, uh, eschatologically <laughs> directed um, wedding vows. And then we have, um, you know, so many different kinds of vows that, that goes on, right? And, and in those vows, it always ends with a uh, or it always includes in sickness and health, forsaking all others, being faithful for as long as you both shall live. And then there's the better for richer, for poorer, uh, in sickness and health, with love and to cherish, to death do us part. And in these vows, right, uh, you always hear the couples telling each other, uh, coming into a covenant relationship with each other, making promises of their envisioned future together their devotion to each other. And more often than not, it always ends with the bride saying and promising to laugh at the husband's jokes when nobody else is laughing. Right? You know, uh, I think who, whose wedding is coming out? Nick Choi and Yvonne. Yeah, Choi and Yvonne's wedding is like next month. You know, and I think, yeah, so Yvonne, you can write, you know, uh, I... I promise to laugh at your memes, even though Instagram banned me and shut down my account, <laughs> shut down your account, you know. Uh, but g- take it, girl, ladies, take it from me. 15 years married to a guy who loves to tell dad jokes, you better, <laughs> you better know what you're wishing for and what you're promising for. 
Well, you know, it, it is within marriage that we see, have a glimpse of a covenant relationship that God introduces and uh, let us have a glimpse of what it means to be in covenantal relationship with Him. And so this morning, I want to delve a little bit into that. So what is covenant? Covenant is uh, first occurs in the context of the flood from which Noah and his family were saved. In Genesis chapter 6, this word covenant, bereath, appears. And I will establish my covenant with you and you will go into the ark. And this is given to, uh, to Noah to protect them, okay, to take him out as a remnant, to save him while God renews the world or bring renewal to the world. Well, a covenant is an agreement which brings about a relationship of commitment between two partners who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. They are often accompanied by oaths, by signs, and by ceremonies. Well, uh, covenants are also not to be mistaken for contracts. So let us look at the difference. Covenants and contracts, let's set this straight. Contracts are based on terms and the benefits to both parties. Covenant, uh, covenant sorry, contract is on a time limit and it can be broken if the terms are not met or it can be broken if the other party or the parties involved want to pay for the penalties. Covenant contains obligations and commitments too, but are based on relationships. It is viewed as a perpetual promise and is considered permanent. It is also considered a betrayal of trust if covenants are broken. And so we see covenant relationships, not contract relationships, but we see covenant relationships all throughout the Bibles. And I just want to highlight a few. We see personal covenants between individuals. We know the famous story of David and Jonathan, who became covenant brothers, covenant friends in 1 Samuel 23. And later on, we see the product and the fruit of that covenant, where David extended mercy to Jonathan's descendant when he became king. And then there are political covenants between kings and nations. King Solomon and King Hiram of Tyre in, in 1 Kings chapter 5, they made a treaty of peace where King Hiram will provide the, the cedars and the, and the wood for the building of the temple, while King Solomon will provide food for his household. And then we have what we're going to go into more in-depth today, the promised covenants between God and men. This is God himself making covenants with men, with his people. And these covenants form the unifying thread of God's saving action throughout scripture from Noah and reaching its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, let's explore uh, God's covenant relationship with, uh, with, uh, with us as his people. And I want to just delve in today to introduce to you this concept of covenant relationship. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the privilege of sitting under your word. Lord, I ask for your grace uh, to speak your word. I receive your grace to, uh, to even to share your heart this morning. And Lord, we ask for listening ears and obedient hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let us look at the five main covenants. There are five main theme covenants in the Bible that shape the history of Israel all the way to Jesus Christ. And the first is the Noahic covenant found in Genesis 9. God chose Noah, a righteous man, took him and his family to out and save them while he brings a renewal to the world. He destroys the world. And God covenants with Noah that the earth will no longer be destroyed by flood again, 
that the earth will be a place where God and man can work together, where God and man will, will see to it that they can grow together. And this covenant, in this covenant, Noah does not have to do anything. God will be the one who will be faithful to it. And then we have the Abrahamic covenant, which is found also in Genesis 12, 15, and 17. And in this, God promises Abraham that he will have a family, it will, he will have many descendi- descendants, and he will grow into a great nation. God will bless him with descendants, God will bless him with land, with favor, and everything that, that Abraham does will flourish. And all Abraham needs to do is to raise his descendants to trust in God, and the sign of the covenant is circumcision. And he, they have to obey that in order for God to meet his side of the covenant. And then we have the Mosaic covenant where it was given when Moses uh, went up to the Lord. And, this, and Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. He, he grows into a nation. And God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, gave Israel laws to obey, guidelines to live within the communities. And if Israel were to be obedient to those laws and to those guidelines, God will bless their nation and God will use their nation to bless the nations of the world. And then we have the Davidic covenant, where it's found in 2 Samuel 7, where David, uh, as long as he obeys the Lord, do what is just, do what is right before God, God promises him a Messiah from his line. And this Messiah will reign and rule over the people of God. And then further on later, where it was prophesied of this new covenant in Jeremiah and later echoed in Hebrews, This is Jesus being introduced into this covenant relationship, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the embodiment of all previous covenant. He is the only one faithful. He's from the family of Abraham to bring blessing to all families. He is the true Israelite who obeys the law. And and he is from the line of David to bring justice and peace to the world. And it is through Jesus that God extends this covenant relationship to us the Gentiles, to the world. And he renews his covenant with us, with his people, through Jesus Christ and restores our relationship with him. And God reveals this new covenant in Jeremiah. Let's read Jeremiah 31, 33. This is prophesied of that this is the covenant God says that I will make with the house of Israel, including us, after those days. I will put my laws in their mind and write, them on your hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. It is into this new covenant that we come into when we choose to believe in Jesus, that if you call yourself a follower of Christ and you choose to accept Jesus into your heart, this is the new covenant in which you are stepping into, that he will be your God and we will be his people. He will write his laws in our minds and on our hearts. And with each covenant, as you see through the five covenants, as with each covenant, we see God's increasing faithfulness to his people. With each covenant, he expands the scope, the coverage, if you may, of his faithfulness, of his covenantal promise, and even his long-suffering patience and his unfailing love. He expands that. We see that increase. Even when Israel breaks covenant, even when they worship other gods, even when they choose to turn away from God, God in His unrelenting mercy still extends covenant after covenant to bring them back into communion with Him. God is faithful. 
Numbers 23, 19 describes a foundational aspect of God. And that is of His faithfulness. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that He should lie, nor a son of man that He should repent. Has He said and will He not do? Or has He spoken and will He not make good? You see, the act of covenant making itself reveals God's true and faithful nature. Deuteronomy tells us, Know therefore that the Lord your God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keeps His commandments to a thousand generations. James also tells us that there is no variation or shadow of turning in God. God is unchangeable. He is trustworthy. God is not capricious, nor erratic, nor unpredictable. But He is who He says He is, and He will do what He says He will do. That is the faithful God that we serve. And with each covenant, not only do we see His increasing faithfulness to His people, we also see God's burning desire for His people. He will have a people fully devoted to Him, whose hearts are fully His, to have a people he can call his own, to bear his own likeness, the likeness of faithfulness, of devotion, of fidelity. Second Chronicles, which is, a, is something that we always say of and we always speak of, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You see, God desires to find people of covenant, not just the crowd, not just people who are Sunday Christians, but he desires to find people of covenant, people of devotion, of faithfulness, people who, are, who have fidelity with him, people whose hearts are loyal to him as he is loyal to them, people wholly devoted to him. But you know, unlike God, who is unchangeable, immutable, we are fickle-minded, we are weak, we have no resolve, our hearts are easily enticed by temptations, and we are very much like the children of Israel that is described in Psalm 78. But all they gave him was lip service. They lied to him with their tongues, their hearts were not loyal to him, they did not keep his covenant. And Jesus himself also said of the people that these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This morning, even as we sing worship, even as we pray, uh, were we giving lip service? Were we singing with all our hearts? Were we adoring God? Were our, was our attention and our devotion really solely on God? Or were we just going through the motion? Or, were we, or is this just a routine or a Sunday church thing that we do? Are our hearts truly near Him? Are our hearts truly attuned and inclined towards Him? Or are we just paying lip service? You see, our hearts have a propensity to wonder, to be unfaithful. It is the fall of the human heart. Our hearts are easily distracted and snared, as Hebrews tells us. Our hearts are easily captured by lesser loves, lesser things that captures our attention. And the writer of Hebrews gives us a caution from the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews 3.12, the Holy Spirit cautions, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away 
from the living God. You see, an unbelieving heart turns you away from God. It hardens our heart from our first love. It causes our heart to be stubborn, to be turned away. Oswald Chambers says the great paralysis of our heart is unbelief. Unbelief resists the activity and the movement of God in our lives. It literally stops what God wants to accomplish in your life. Unbelief paralyzes your heart to find faith, to move on with God, to take the risk. Mark recalls Jesus' time in Nazareth in Mark 6. Now he could not do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. This is not a good marveling. This is not, this is not like, wow, amazing. This is a wow. This is a like disappointed, heart-wrenching <laughs> kind of wow, unbelief. And we see so many examples of unbelief. Others who saw Noah building the boat were drowned in the end because of unbelief. Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt because she did not believe and heed the word of God that he will destroy Sodom. The children of Israel could not enter the promised land for 40 years because of unbelief. Jerusalem itself was destroyed because the children of Israel time and time again for generations did not believe in God. And Jesus himself was unable to perform miracles in his hometown because of unbelief. And, you know, it might be interesting for you to know that the only other time that Jesus marveled was at the faith of the centurion soldiers in Luke 7, where he marveled at such faith. He only marveled twice. He marveled at the lack of faith, unbelief, and faith, full of faith. You see, unbelief creeps in quietly, almost subtly. It stealthily but steadily robs God of his place. It sows seed of doubt about God's goodness in our lives. Unbelief disguises itself as caution, as practicality, wisdom. It disguises itself even as humility till no ounce of faith-filled living can thrive in the hearts and the lives of people. Are our hearts filled with unbelief that we are unable to live faith-filled lives? That the idea of taking a faith risk will not survive in our hearts because there is no belief, there is no faith. Unbelief lures us to believe we can receive the blessings of covenant and benefit from the terms of the covenant apart from the covenant maker himself. It causes us to commit spiritual adultery. It causes us to commit spiritual adultery, seeking out a pseudo-covenant-like relationship with something else or with someone else. Unbelief leads us to form ungodly alliances to substitute true covenant. How does unbelief look like then? Unbelief says, I am on my own. I have to fend for myself. 
I am on my own. I have to fend for myself. Unbelief leads us to partner with something else, someone else for dependency. It seeks refuge and relief from other sources other than God. That's what unbelief is. Unbelief says, I need to obtain my own happiness. No one will look out for my interests. And so unbelief causes us to build unhealthy habits, unhealthy trust structures, whether it's wealth, human wisdom, people, and it fuels broken defense mechanism. Because of this unbelief that I have to obtain my own happiness, no one will look out for me. We are always in competition with others. We are always in self-preservation mode. Unbelief also says I have to secure and build my own future. It causes us to rely on our own good works and strength. It gives us a very myopic view of our calling and our purpose because it's just all about me. It leads us to falsely think that we can fulfill the call of God in our lives by our own workings, by our own good works. That's what unbelief does. Charles Spurgeon, I'm coming out with all the old people, right? Oswald Chambers, <laughs> Charles Spurgeon, Andrew Murray is coming up soon. <laughs> unbelief dishonors God. Every other crime touches God's territory, but unbelief aims a blow at his divinity, impeaches his veracity, denies his goodness, blasphemes his attributes, maligns his character. Therefore, God of all things hates first and chiefly unbelief wherever it is. It dishonors God. It strikes God at his divinity, his place of honor, of sovereignty. It denies his goodness in our lives. It causes doubt that God is good to us, that he's so good to us. Do we have unbelief? Just because we say we are Christians, does it mean we do not have unbelief? Do we have unbelief? Do we recognize those unbelief statements as the leading pathways of our lives? That we have to fend for ourselves, that we need to obtain our own happiness, that we have to build our own future. Do those statements ring true in our lives? Have we put our trust in ungodly alliances that will lead us to death and destruction? Do you see the end of those things? Have we dishonored God? So how then can we approach God if we have doubt and we have unbelief in us? Mark 9 tells us of an amazing, incredible story where Jesus encountered a boy with a mute spirit and his father uh, told the disciples to cast them out, but the disciples couldn't cast out the spirit. And so he went to Jesus and he said this to Jesus in Mark 9. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, Jesus in this, so when I first read it, I'm like, wow, Jesus is very sarcastic. Uh. You know, really, this is like when I was young, when I read this, I was like, Jesus is so sarcastic. It's like, you know, if you 
you are saying if I can do anything, I can. But if you can believe, you know, it just feels like that if you, but of course, no. God has redeemed my heart. Uh, sanctification has taken place. So begin to hear the voice of God better. No, and so Jesus, in his reply to the Father, he was not being dismissive nor despising. He was not put off by the doubt or the lack of faith for, of the Father, but rather in loving compassion. Jesus was actually stirring up and stoking up the flame of faith within the Father. He saw that little ounce of faith. If you can do anything, help us. Jesus saw through that and he saw that little measure of faith and he was stoking it. He was flaming that fence. And he says, if you can believe, if you can find it in yourself to believe, all things are possible for those who believe. And so the father himself, moved by Jesus' loving kindness, replied in genuine faith, and it's so cute. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It's like he really wanted to express his faith, right? Yes, I believe, but he also don't want to tell lies, right? He's like, oh, I'm full of faith. Sometimes we come like that, right, with that facade. Oh, I'm full of faith. I fully believe. But no, he was honest about how he was feeling. He was honest that he was not yet in that place of full faith. But he still had faith. And so he said, yes, I believe, but help me in those parts that I don't believe. The contemporary English version says it and puts it this way. Please help, I do have faith. Please help me to have even more. Even more. The father refused to let his unbelief stand in the way of God, moving in the life of his son, touching and healing his son. He knew that even though he had doubts, but he still wanted and he was willing to present his weak faith before Jesus. And this reminds me of Jason Chua's message uh, a couple of weeks ago where he told us or where he encouraged us that our weak yes attracts God. And we, when we put our weak yes before him, God puts his, his own yes and he adds on to our yes. He adds his resolve to ours. He adds his faith to ours. And so even when we are far from fully faithful or trusting, God still sees that ounce and that measure of faith and he draws us to partake in his covenant promises. He brings us into covenant to tutor us in faithfulness and in trust. You see, God does not need to be bound in covenant to deliver his promises, right? We know he's faithful. He says, he, whatever he says he'll do, he will do. He is who he is. He doesn't need the confines of, of covenant to make him deliver the terms of the covenant. And so we must assume that the covenant relationship is for our sakes. It's for us. We need to recognize that the purpose of covenant is to give us a protective boundary to learn, to be tutored, to be taught how to trust God, how to find faith in Him, how to believe in Him. And in the context of covenant, God teaches us to expect, even to anticipate and trust that when He says He's going to do something, He will do something. That is the context and that is the purpose of covenant. So how does God use covenant to teach us? Number one, God, when in covenant, God establishes His presence. 
God teaches us that He is there for us. We are not alone, contrary to what unbelief says. That we are there, that He's there for us, we are not alone. We know who we belong to. Our identity is secured. We know who our fidelity and allegiance belong to. He teaches us, he teaches us that he, we can turn to Him because He's there. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. In covenant, God ensures His promises. He guarantees His blessings and His promises. They are yes and amen. We do not have to strive to accumulate for ourselves or to hoard for ourselves or to be in competition with others. Because freely we have received, freely we can give. We can live with Teflon hands. Teflon hands is something that Pastor Daniel taught me very long ago in youth ministry, to have Teflon hands. Teflon, you know, is like very slippery. Whatever God gives you, you can just give because it doesn't belong to you anyway. And that's how we can live when we know that we are, have access into the promises of God and His blessings. We do not hoard for ourselves, but freely we give as we have freely received. And in, in, this, in the context of the covenant, God teaches us that Jesus is the surety, the guarantor of God's greatest gift to us, the Holy Spirit. He ensures that. And in covenant, God effects His redemptive purposes. Guys, great, right? E, then P, E, then P. Sister, try hard, no? <laughs> try hard, uh, try hard. So you can remember. Uh, e, P, E, P, uh, okay? Can I uh, remember? Uh? Okay, so not ERP. Last one, only last one, ERP. And so the third one, in covenant, God effects His redemptive promises. We can come into partnership with Him, with God, to see the purposes of the world being fulfilled. And He prepares us in the context of covenant to release us into our destiny and to, into our calling within the covenant relationship. There is safety to take steps of faith. There is safety within covenant to take risks because He is our partner, because He is there. Let's see the juxtaposition of unbelief and covenant and see where you fall between or fall in. Unbelief says, I am on my own. I have to fend for myself. But covenant says, I belong to God. He's always there for me. Unbelief says, I need to obtain my own happiness. No one will look out for my interests. But covenant says, my blessings and promises are yes and amen. He is the guarantor. Unbelief says I have to secure and build my own future. But covenant says my future is secured. God is my partner. And within covenant, we can experience how trustworthy, how faithful, how dependent God is. Dependable, sorry. We can mature and we can grow in faith, in confidence to take God at His word. So my question today is, might it be that when we fail to see God's presence, God's promises, and God's purposes in our life, that it is because we have failed to take our covenant with Him seriously, and that we have allowed unbelief to creep into our hearts, to creep into our lives. Andrew Murray Representing all the old gods, man. All that God has ever done for His people is, is in making a covenant was always to bring them to Himself as their chief, their only good. To teach them to trust in Him, to delight in Him, 
to be one with Him, it cannot be otherwise. If God indeed be thereby owner and author of life and strength, of holiness and happiness, and can only and can alone give and work in it, uh, work it in us, the more we trust Him and depend and wait on Him, the stronger and the holier and the happier we shall be. And that only is a true and good religious life, which brings us every day nearer to this God, who, which makes us give up everything to have more of Him. No obedience can be too strict, no dependence too absolute, no submission too complete, no confidence too implicit, to a soul that is learning to count God himself, its chief good, its exceeding joy. As I close, can I have the band come up? I want to look uh, closer to, into Abraham's covenant in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, we see God's act of covenant with Abraham. Abraham had cut the animals into two places, each half on the opposite side, as was the custom in making a covenant. And usually the two parties of the covenant would walk between and through the carcasses, signifying that, uh, or sealing their covenant, and also symbolizing and signifying that if any of them were to break the covenant, that would be their destiny. They would be like the carcasses. However, on this occasion, when darkness fell, God put Abraham into a deep sleep. And instead of Abraham and God making covenant together, the Bible tells us that God appeared as a smoking oven and a burning torch. He appeared as two entities and passed through those pieces. God had sealed the covenant of Abraham with himself. He undertook both Abraham and his own obligations and commitments and declared that he will fulfill those terms, pledging upon himself. That is the God we have in covenant with us. He knows that we are incapable of being faithful on our own and with our own human efforts it is impossible to please God and so God undertakes this responsibility upon himself you see the whole record of the Bible is the covenant unfaithfulness of God's people and at the same time it is also the record of the covenant faithfulness of God and God's covenant faithfulness finds its completion, its consummation at the cross. The cross is where God's covenant keeping is at its centre, at its core. Jesus was the only faithful one to this covenant. But God took the penalties and the curses for our covenant breaking and laid it all upon Jesus that we may come to experience this new covenant with which He bound Himself to fulfil on our behalf. You see, God is more committed to us than we are to Him, to the point that He gave His Son for us. And now it is through Jesus Christ that we receive this astounding covenant promise. 
He will be our God. This is God's everlasting, unchanging faithfulness towards us. And we will be His people. This is our only response to such an unrelenting, unyielding, and unrivaled pursuit of our hearts. Can I invite you to stand? Today I have a few questions for us even as we respond to God. And the first is, do you view your relationship with God through the lens of a contract? Do you assume that because you cannot hold up to these terms of the contract, God will not hold up His also? And so as a result, you find it impossible to approach a holy God because you cannot be holy. Because you know you cannot hold up your end of the bargain. Or do you only turn to God when it's beneficial for you, contract-based? When the demands and commitments get too personal, you back off. Do you treat your relationship with God like a contract? Or secondly, do you have unbelief in your heart? Do you have areas of your life that you do not or you cannot trust God with? Do you doubt His goodness in your life? It's too good to be true. Or it cannot be. And because of a distrust in God, you find yourself aligning with destructive patterns, with destructive habits. Like what Pastor Janice shared last week about shame. You build structures to support those death and destructive habits. Today, I want to call for a recommitment of our covenant relationship with God. A renewal of our hearts before Him. That we will come to Him in our feeble faith and cry out, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That we will allow His loving kindness to lead us to repent in every area of unbelief, of rebellion, of turning away, and break any ungodly alliance we may have accumulated or that we might have had. And that we may be as faithful as He is faithful. That today, that we will have spiritual fidelity to our God. That once and for all, we will cut off all ungodly alliances, everything that seeks to draw us away from our first love, from our God of covenant, from this relationship. Would you just take a few seconds to just ask God about this, just ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Holy Spirit, do I come into this relationship like as, con- as contract-based and not covenant-based? Do I have unbelief in my heart? Do I function with unbelief in my life? 
help my unbelief, expose areas of rebellion, of unbelief, of doubt. Would you just do that in your own way right now? Let's pray. Lord, we declare that you are a faithful God. We thank you that you are a covenant-keeping God, that you remain true and you remain steadfast even when we cannot. That even when your word says when we are faithless, you are faithful because you cannot deny yourself. It is your character to be faithful, to be devoted. And so today we ask that you expose every area of unbelief in our lives. Show us where we have doubted your goodness. Reveal any and every ungodly alliance that we might have partnered with in place of your covenant love. God, we recognize that these alliances do not bring life, but they lead us to death and to destruction. And so today we break our agreements with those ungodly habits, those sinful ways, those unsanctified practices. We break their power over us in the name of Jesus. And we say that their dependency on them to be broken in the name of Jesus, that we do not have to rely on them anymore. That they will not have no power or yield or have attraction over us anymore. But Lord, today we say in Jesus' name that we are blood-bought. blood bought into your covenant yes God begin to break God I just see God dismantling structures dismantling all the lies dismantling things in your life that you have held dependency upon that substitutes God's uh, uh, sovereignty over your life God's lordship over your life break those in the name of Jesus they will have no power over them that from today onwards, you will, have, you will not feel an attraction to those things. From this day forward, you will not feel a luring towards those things. But there will be a resolution in your spirit to say, No, I choose God. In Jesus' name. And so God, today we turn to you, the faithful one. We come in humility, crying out, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Where we lack faith, would you put faith in us? Would you increase our measure of faith? Yes. Like the psalmist cry, give us an undivided heart that we might rely on your faithfulness. Unite our hearts to fear your name. That we will be single-hearted towards you. Stoke the flame of first love today, Lord. Stoke the flame of first love. Stoke the flame of first love. That we may declare with true sincerity of heart that you are our God and we are your people. Amen.